Hello? Yes. Fresh, if possible. Bye. And not, not, not noodles, but something else. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Sorry, James. Um... Hello everyone, welcome to Tokyo Jazz Joints. This is episode 43 and the second of a three-part series where we're doing our very own version of the Grammys or whatever the music award ceremony is in the culture or country in which you reside. Of course, in uh, UK it would be the Brits, James, uh, and uh, there is an Irish Music Awards as well, but uh, what we're focusing on, of course, is our own uh, list of homegrown categories. We covered in the last episode weirdest experience, biggest bummer, best toilet, uh, craziest finds, and the most Philip or James moment or thing throughout this project. And we hope you enjoyed listening to that episode. Uh, we've got another six categories uh, for you today. And of course, like I said last time, we're building up to our final episode of three, which is going to be our favourite places. And we're going to go through the nominees as well as the award winners in that category too. James, how is it going? It's going absolutely swimmingly. I'm so happy to be podcasting again with you, Philip. Um, I think that we're going to have to, you know, if this pandemic goes on a little bit longer, we're going to have to come up with even more gimmicks to, you know, extend the series a little bit. I know that uh, there is a very enthusiastic audience out there, not being sarcastic at all. We've had some great feedback, as we've mentioned, and we really appreciate everybody who's gotten in touch and who listens regularly. And uh, yeah, hope you enjoy this little uh, hodgepodge of special awards. Uh, I do take exception for you comparing us to the Brits, though, because um, I remember my time in Britain coincided with the rise of the Spice Girls, who were heavily involved in that awards show. So I'd like to think that we're hitting a little bit of a higher level of sophistication and quality uh, than and, uh, than that institution. But uh, we'll leave that to the listeners to decide. What uh, Spice would you be, James, if you were uh, a Spice Girl? First category is nicest <laughs> owner. Nicest owner. Well, James, I'm going to let you go first because I'll be honest with you. I'm still hemming and hawing about my uh, nominees. <laughs> so why don't you go first and take this one? Yeah, you know, this was a really tough one, I got to say, because, um, you know, as you've mentioned before, you and I alone have been uh, to 160 jazz joints together. Uh, and and I would say that, you know, so many, if not almost all the owners have, have been pretty kind to us. Um, now, some of the owners I knew already because I'd been regulars, uh, a regular customer at their joints. And so I, I decided to approach this one of, okay, the nicest owner that we met for the first time. And uh, I thought about it. There were three contenders, but the, the, the winner is our very, very dear friend, Mr. Kurita. Kurita-san at the incredible Nefertiti in Chiba, which I believe you mentioned uh, on episode one of this series uh, when you were talking about our day in Chiba. Nefertiti is a very, very spacious joint um, way, way out in the eastern suburbs uh, of Tokyo, quite far away, a good hour and a half by train. And uh, so it's not a place that people uh, just drop by if they're not living in the area. 
Karita San is um, wow, what a just what a gem this guy was. Um, he sat down as soon as we walked in. He had a big smile on his face. Um, we explained why we were there, and uh, he was like, "Oh, great, okay," and immediately started telling us about all the various jazz activities that he has in the joint. You know, he's got some live gigs. There's a, a group of uh, retired Japanese jazz fans who sort of gather there for their weekly drink session. Um, when they're not traveling around the country together to go jazz exploring. Um, and he even uh, told us a bit of his personal history about when he used to be uh, a school teacher. His career was uh, with the Japanese Board of Education. And when he took early retirement, decided to open, uh, to open this incredible jazz cafe. But I think that, um, you know, we, we have had a lot of owners uh, when we've walked in who, once we explained who we were and what we were doing, were very welcoming. Uh, and very, very uh, kind enough to take the time to talk to us and answer our questions. But I had the feeling that this guy um, would have talked to us for five hours if we'd stayed there. And uh, even to this day, we're connected online. Um, and, you know, I've, I've asked him about, you know, how things are going out there. And he's asked when we're going to come back. Um, just an absolute sweetheart of a dude. So nicest owner, Mr. Kurita from Nefertiti. Okay. Uh, I think I've made my decision, James. Um, if you want to have a look at, at the owners in more detail, please go to tokyojazzjoints.com. If you look at the joints tab, you'll see actually the owners have their own page because I think so much of this project is actually about the owners and just the, the incredible dedication that they have to run these places, the decisions that they've made about the direction of their life and how they're seen by wider society, by running a jazz bar. Uh, unsociable hours, uh, not particularly uh, nice atmosphere necessary to work in. People smoking can be quite small, pokey, you know, uh, and all the things that come with that kind of nightlife. But um, I think for me, you know, just looking at the images or the portraits of the owners, it, it's interesting how many are smiling. And uh, I think obviously Corner Pocket, uh, uh, the owner of Corner Pocket, the owner of Brownie, the owner of Leaf, uh, all of them stand out to me. They just look so... Um, they just look so lovely. And even that very uh, kind of interesting expression that the owner of Old Blind Cat also has, you know, very serene. He's just being lit from above and he just looks like, uh, you know, the nicest grandfather ever. He just looks <laughs> like such a nice guy. But I think for me, and this might be a controversial one, James, but I think actually uh, nicest owner, I think for me, would have to be the one and only Swifty Sugawara. And I'll wow. tell you why. Wow. I'll tell you why. Yeah. Mm. Be because I think we had built him up in our head so, you know, to be such a kind of an intimidating and sort of legendary figure. You know, all the owners had talked about uh, talked about him. They all knew who he was. And, you know, actually, even in the, the car ride that we had from Royce uh, down to Basie, you know, we got this slightly mysterious story about, you know, an ash, a glass ashtray being thrown at someone's head. <laughs> and so we were going in off the back of that story. And then, of course, as you know, as we've documented in great detail, when we got in there, he was sat with his sunglasses on inside, uh, you know, dressed impeccably, you know, writing away uh, very introspectively. Uh, and there was this kind of aura around the whole table that he was sitting at that we just thought, oh, this is just absolutely nerve wracking, you know. And then, of course, once we'd broken that sort of um, 
that glass wall and actually got talking to him, he couldn't have been nicer, friendlier. There was no condescension. There was no anything about him. He he invited us over. He sat us down and he plied us with drinks and snacks for as long as, as we could take it and, and before we had to get back on our train again. And I think for me, you know, he, he was just so welcoming and so open to us as people, to what we were doing as a project. Uh, he even, you know, suggested that, that one of the staff took me upstairs and gave me a tour to make sure and uh, that I was photographing everything. I think at least two or three occasions he said to me, you know, have you got enough photographs? Have you taken everything that you need? So I think perhaps just on first impressions and certainly on reputation, you wouldn't have him in that category. But actually in terms of the way that he treated us and, and, and how much he had completely up, upended our expectations of what, of what we were going to find in Basie, I think Sugawara for me, nicest owner. That's really interesting. Uh, I, I would not, um, yeah, maybe it's the difference in uh, between being an American and uh, being from Europe, but uh, maybe we have different standards of friendliness. But uh, I thought Sugawasan was unbelievably cool and really, really gracious and kind. But I definitely wouldn't have put him as friendly. I think he, he felt it felt very much like he knew who he was and he knew who we were. And he was going to show us and allow us very kindly and generously to take the time um, uh, to talk to us and, and explain about Basie and let us have the experience that we wanted. But but I definitely would have felt a bit of distance there. I wouldn't have felt comfortable probably getting really drunk with him the way I would with a lot of the other owners. It's funny because you mentioned uh, Matsuda-san from Corner Pocket, who mm. I think that might be my favorite single portrait of any of the owners that you took where he's pointing at the TV. Again, if you go to the owner's section on tokyojazzjoints.com you, you'll see him right away on the left side he's got this unbelievable smile pointing at a jazz video that he was showing us in the bar um you know to me like yeah he was he was in uh, he was on my list as well um for friendly stoners but you know pretty much we got to say almost all of them really were very very friendly uh with with a, just a couple of exceptions um and that probably wasn't that they were unfriendly it was that they were just very very shy you know yeah um yeah, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of that in Japan, obviously, is, is about establishing a rapport and a relationship, and it take it does take time. Um, and so I agree with you, you know, that, that there's sort of definitely different levels of, of how we were welcomed, and it's not necessarily anything to do with unfriendliness. Sometimes even it's just that kind of slight awkwardness, and certainly when we first appear, and if we don't know the owners, there's, there's probably that thought in their mind of, you know, am I going to have to speak English? Is this going to be difficult? Um, but uh, I, I agree with you, you know, that it, this is probably the closest uh, category in terms of difficulty to choosing the, the, the best place, because actually of all the owners we've met, uh, almost to, to uh, without exception, they've been incredibly friendly and welcoming. Oh, yeah, I mean, you and, think about uh, it, yeah. like, you know, two, two foreign guys are coming in, um, they don't know you. They're running a business. You know, I mean, we, we talk about the jazz and the, the atmosphere and they've created a temple and the dedication of the music, but it's still a place of business and they have customers. And, you know, we come in and frankly, we can be a little bit demanding. Like we order a drink and then two minutes later, I'm going into my spiel about how we go around taking pictures and we want to take a picture of the whole joint. Oh yeah, we want to take your portrait too. And and that could, I mean, that could des definitely be seen as a little bit of an imposition, but... I mean, we've been welcomed uh, just beautifully, uh, you know, on, on this trip, and it just it just shows the the um, the way that the music can can bring to bring us together because they respected us for doing the uh, for doing the trip, you know. 
So, um, okay, now we're going to go into our uh, next category. And this was a tough one for me. So I'm, I'm going to let you go first uh, this time. Uh, what? <laughs> this is, what's the biggest lesson that we learned um, I over think the course this, of our five? We're coming up on six years, by the way. Did you know that? Pretty soon it's going to be six yeah, years. Yeah, because, of course, the podcast started originally as a, as a as a anniversary celebration of five years of the project on March 27th, 2015. Mm. So that was kind of the, the, the genesis of, of starting the podcast as well, apart from the crippling boredom of lockdown. But, um, you know, I think... For me, the biggest lesson, I don't want to go too deep on this one, but I think it's more of a general lesson when it comes to this project, but actually probably my photographic practice, actually. And I think sometimes I'm guilty of doing things and then, you know, not thinking uh, in a particularly long term way. Uh, and I think actually uh, this has really shown me um, that it, it's worth just chipping and, and, and plugging away at things and not necessarily looking too far ahead at the bigger picture and thinking, well, I'll never get there. Because obviously, like we've said, you know, we started with Pithecanthropus. It was one place. I remember very clearly, you know, posting on social media about our 20th place and thinking, you know, what an achievement, <laughs> 20 places. And and I think, you know, just and perhaps it was to do with with our relationship. Perhaps it was to do with the, the social side of it. We're actually going out to somewhere, having a drink, having a chat. It was a way of winding down as much as anything sometimes at the end of a busy week. And so just gradually, you know, almost without realizing it crept up and then suddenly it was 50. And then I remember us thinking, wow, like a 100 places. And back then, you know, when applying for different exhibitions and all sorts of things, you're thinking, wow, 100 places. And of course, now we're up to 160 and, and hopefully, you know, uh, going to push that up at some point when we can travel again to, to over the 200 mark. And so I think, you know, for me, that was really a, a lesson which hopefully I can take and apply to, 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 to other projects that I do, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's there's been a lot of things, I think that we've both learned over the course of this. And, and some of those things don't have anything necessarily to do with the joints themselves. You know, it's about the process of doing a project like this. Um, how do you do the research? Uh, how do you approach talking to people who you don't know when you want to get something? You know, there's a lot, a lot of aspects to it. Um, and, you know, for me, I'm going to, again, I'm going to break the rule and I'm going to put it in, uh, I'm going to put it in half and I'm going to two small things for the biggest lessons learned. The first, um, a rather basic one, which we've mentioned many times, um, don't eat any of the snacks at these jazz joints. Um, <laughs> you're there for the music and you're there for the booze. Um, if you want to eat something, there's a lot of great food in Japan. Japan. Don't eat in a jazz bar. You will regret it. Um, we'll leave it at that. You obviously do not follow that lesson. Um, and on the more serious side, um, you know what? I, I think I learned to to slow down. Uh, to slow down. And when you go into a new place, people, you know, it's funny because we, we, we're very much uh, pre-COVID, I guess you'd say. Uh, you know, people are living more and more sped up lives all the information is being exchanged very quickly etc etc and you know i don't want to be the old fogey uh because you know i was into that too you know i post on instagram do whatever um but i think that these the nature of these jazz joints is one where you walk in and you are in a place outside of time very often as we talked about the old decor it's all analog um it's dark it's you know they've got these old magazines there and you know, when you walk into one of these places, you, you sort of realize how how 
sped up most, most of your daily life is. And so I learned over the course of the project to come in and just be like, hey, it's okay. So the guy's going to take seven minutes to come to talk to you to take your drink order and then another 10 minutes to bring it. It's not a problem. You know, normally that kind of stuff would have drove me crazy, you know, feel the tension rising. But now it's like, no, you know what? The drink comes when it comes. Sit back, listen to the great music on an audio system and and just and just experience this very, very special environment. So I would say that's the biggest lesson for me. Nice. Quite moving there, James. <laughs> oh, always. I felt, you know, a slight tear trying to squeeze out, but I actually have a problem with my tear ducts being blocked up, so it didn't come. But listen, uh, that was, you know, genuinely that, I think it's really nice. And, and there is that, there, there's that moment, I think, you know, like even in an evening where maybe we're going to three or four places where you get in, you sit down, you have a drink. And even if it's just one side of a record, you know, or, or or a whole album or even one track, there is that kind of moment where just everything slows down and you just, you know, lean into it. And, and there's just this kind of, it's like an oasis, you know, just for that briefest moment. And, and, you know, Tokyo being such a hectic and constantly sort of assaulting you, like in every way when it comes mm. to your senses, you know, there is that real feel of like a haven of like a safe space of somewhere that you can just really relax. And I think for me, that's re one of the things that I really, really miss about going to these places uh, and would like to get back again. So, Moving on from biggest lesson, and I suppose in a slightly similar kind of category, but uh, it's also biggest regret. Uh, and I'm going to go first again here, if you don't mind. But for this one, you know, for me, I think was a bit more related to the project, uh, I think, because we often talk about how it's been going for five years, but and it would be a very dull thing to do. But, you know, who knows if, if lockdown continues. But, you know, if, I think if you were actually to sit down and look at, you know, our communication over that five years and, and look at the calendars and things, it, it actually wasn't five years because, you know, you have children and various commitments. I know there were, there were periods of time when you had to go to the States for family reasons. Obviously, I was working uh, in education, so I had long holidays, which I often used to either come back to Ireland or to travel. And so actually, there were, there were quite long extended periods of time when we didn't do any of this work. And, and there was one in particular, I think, around almost six months that we hadn't been to any places. And then we kind of picked up again after the summer and revived. It. So I think for me, my, probably my biggest regret now sitting recording this in Dublin and, and on top of that not being allowed to, to travel to Japan at the moment is that we just didn't really uh, go harder at the time and, and, and just really try and keep going the whole calendar year because I suspect had we done that, you know, we would have gotten to a different point. Uh, much, much sooner. And uh, I think for me, that's a regret. I know certainly there are places within Japan that even in all the time I lived there, I never actually got to visit. Uh, and it's kind of a shame that, that, you know, I hadn't, didn't have the foresight, perhaps. I know you can't see the future, but, you know, I didn't have the foresight to maybe really uh, double down on this project and, and get mm. to some of those places rather yeah, than having to that's, fly that's from Ireland. That, that's definitely true. But, you know, like you said, you can't, sometimes you kind of just have a feel like, oh, it's no problem. You know, we'll get it when you get back. You know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm glad you didn't drop in there that one of the reasons you left was to get married. I think your lovely wife might have um, taken offense to that, but, um, you know, of the time taken off. But, um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I, I think that um, 
you know, when whenever you do projects like this that spread out over a long period of time, you know, you look back and you think, oh, you know, I should have done this, I should have done that. But ultimately, you know, I think um, we did the best that we could given the conditions. Like you said, you were working, then you suddenly might have a summer off, but I had a different type of job or, the, or I had some kid things or I was in the States or you were in Ireland. So, but I think that when our time did align, we did as, as good a job as, as we could. I mean, I remember we went to, <laughs> Philip, we went to a couple places sometime, man, when we literally had like 90 minutes because you might've had like a dinner date or something, or I had to rush back to pick up my kids. I was like, no, you know what? If we meet at this station at 425, we can get to the joint at 430. We can have a quick drink. It'll be out on a train at 515, yeah. you know? I remember there yeah. were several times we had things like that. And, um, and, and that, again, you know, that's something to be proud of because we were able to fit it in despite having, you know, regular life come in. Um, but yeah, on that, uh, my biggest regret, I mean, you know, there were uh, probably other things like, oh, I should have taken better notes or this or that. But, but uh, I decided to go with this one. And it was um, when we were coming back from our trip up north, uh, where we went up to Tohoku in one day. I'm going to get into that a little bit more later today, too. Um, you, I, I decided, oh, you know, I was tired. I got to get back home. It's a long way back to Yokohama. Um, and you went to an unbelievable-looking place called Mingus in Fukushima. Mm. And as soon as I saw the pictures, I just wanted to just take a hammer to my head and be like, you idiot. Like, you know what? We were up in the north of Japan. I was coming back. It would have taken maybe three hours max to just get off the train and go and experience the cafe. And I didn't do it. And then I saw the pictures and I thought, oh, wow, I really missed a special one. And I've not been able to, to get back up there. Um, for our listeners outside of Japan, uh, they might hear Fukushima and think that that's a very dangerous place to go because of the nuclear uh, uh, incident of 10 years ago during the earthquake. But actually, this is Fukushima City, which is still quite far away from where that is. It's where the, the bullet train runs through on your way to northern Japan. And so um, I've looked at the map. I've looked at Mingus uh, quite a lot since you went there. And uh, you get off of, at the station and it's just a short little walk. Um, and it just looks like an absolutely magical place. So um, I, I've regretted that ever since the day that you went there. Yeah, I thought I thought you'd choose that one actually. Um, that, that's <laughs> definitely one that I that I saw coming. Uh, and and it is sometimes it is that kind of um, it's that gamble. Like you know, we've talked about that a few times because you're you're often talking about more expense. You're often talking about you know another two or three hours, and I think it's probably worth just pointing out that you know the whole project that we have we have done that while balancing you know our quote unquote real lives you know like jobs family and other obligations that you have and so i think you know um from my point of view there's always going to be those kind of like decisions that you've got to make and i think for for me mingus perhaps was was kind of um fueled by the fact that i had uh you know, had all this expense and of, of flying out to Japan specifically for this purpose. And again, you know, going back to my regret as well, I thought, no, you know, I'm not going to miss this. I'm up here. It's a side trip and it's definitely worth making. And, and again, it could have, as we've said many times, very easily not worked out as successfully as it did, but definitely mm. uh, a place worth checking, not least, of course, because of, of the, the association perhaps that people have in the more recent 
uh, memory with, with Fukushima and the nuclear sure. um, disaster that was uh, a result of the tsunami. But uh, anyway, so, you know, just moving on then, um, let's have a think about um, the maddest journey. The well, maddest this is a good one, journey. Philip, and I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm going to jump in first because it ties into Mingus, because I mentioned it, that uh, Mingus is, is uh, basically the, the entryway to what's called the Tohoku region in Japan, which is the northeast of the main Honshu Island. So you're heading northeast from Tokyo. Um, if you go all the way to the top of Tohoku, it's quite far. It's about 750 kilometers. Um, we didn't go quite that far, but we spent a day uh, back in 2017 where for some still unknown reason, we decided to just spend one day wandering through a vast, vast part of the Tohoku region, um, including Beisi, which you mentioned, the incredible Beisi in Iwate Prefecture, um, Ray Brown, which I mentioned on the previous episode as an award winner. But um, the reason I call this the maddest journey, it's not because we covered just so much territory or we saw so many different places, a uh, few of which were really, really unexpected, like Royce in Iwate or Ray Brown, but because I was a complete, complete idiot and decided that since I was going up to meet you in Tohoku and the jazz bar, the first jazz bar wouldn't open till 11, I would get the train at 6.30 and get up to there at about 8 o'clock and go climb a very famous mountain temple at 8 o'clock in the morning in the sweltering heat of the Japanese summer. Doing this knowing that I was about to face a 14-hour day of going to various jazz bars and probably getting very, very drunk. So in addition to traveling and wandering around to all the jazz joints, um, like a complete dumbass, I climbed a mountain in the morning in the Japanese summer. So I, I, that's uh, one reason that I can cover myself for the famous photo you took of me uh, sitting with my, my head in my hand outside of um, Cabo, the last joint we went to in Sendai on that day. That That's the real reason that I was knocked out. It wasn't because I was drunk. It was because I had climbed a mountain temple at 8 o'clock <laughs> Yeah, I did. I did wonder at the time. I thought, like, you know, I mean, what's the big draw with this mountain? I mean, I'm, I'm I love a hike, but anyway, I, I thought it was an interesting decision. I mean, for me, actually, it, just a link to that story. One of the contenders, I suppose, and I, I've kind of changed my, uh, I've changed my decision here at the last minute in terms of the category winner. But I think that that day was one of those moments I very distinctly remember coming up on the on the train on my own and for the reasons that you just mentioned and walking out in this, you know, fairly nondescript sort of uh, regional town of, of uh, Shimono, uh, Ichinoseki. And there was like a walkway from the station that took you down into the, the rotary. And I remember just coming out, it was a beautiful day and just thinking like, I've just traveled like about four hours on a train to come to a jazz bar. And, I, and there was this moment of sort of an epiphany where I thought this is mental, like this is mad. Like what we're doing is just insane. I mean, we were too deep into it at that point to, to be turning around, but I just thought this is, this is, this is a mad thing to be doing. And actually then I kind of thought, well, you know, it's a bit like when you're, if you're teaching, if anyone has ever taught and they, or has kids and you know, I'm sure you know about things like star of the week or whatever the particular school calls it. And sometimes for teachers, there's that kind of slight, like 
cop out where you just give it to the whole class because they've done a wonderful job on something <laughs> and so i thought for a while you know will i just w would the maddest journey just be the whole project would it be from from the first night in, in pithecanthropus to that last uh place uh rindo that i mentioned uh, in yesterday uh, in last week's episode but I think actually for me, the maddest journey, and, and it's probably quite fresh in your minds if you've been listening to the podcast consecutively, is, is of course that day in Kyushu, uh, that mm. final day of that trip, uh, final full day of that trip where we went to seven places and covered like an insane amount of, of, of distance in the car probably put ourselves in some danger at certain points just to get around the the itinerary that we put together and of course in the middle of all that decided you know to pop into an onsen for a relaxing bath <laughs> and so i do think that was you know that was probably the maddest journey in terms of one distinct uh, chunk of this project definitely um, it was it was the obvious pick for sure it was yeah. definitely it was what i was going to pick but i thought oh you know what we just talked about it and i had a feeling you were going to pick it because like we mentioned on our previous episode not only did we go to seven places through the whole island of kyushu in 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 what turned out to be like almost a 15 hour day um but you did all of the driving <laughs> so yeah. and a lot of coffee went into your system that day yeah, so yeah, it yeah. would definitely be a, a definition of mad so no pressure here james but funniest moment and it better be funny because i don't think mine's particularly funny Really? Well, oh, maybe no. it is. I don't know. Maybe it's only funny okay. to you and I. But uh, let's let's see. Um, okay. Okay. You know, look again. Th there were a lot of things to choose from, <laughs> and we've we've had we've had a lot of good laughs on this podcast, um, reminiscing about uh, all of the kind of strange things that we've seen and things that made us giggle. Um, but you know, I was I was really really spent way way too much time thinking about this, and I I think that the thing that made me laugh the most after it happened i mean at the moment like you know in terms of how long did i keep giggling about it was when we were in kyushu and we got to a place called rokuyokan gig it was a very very difficult name to say rokuyokan gig which is a jazz bar and they even do a little live music and not only was the guy waiting for us because previous people we had met in Kyushu had let him know, hey, there's these two <laughs> strange foreign guys going around taking pictures and asking questions and they speak Japanese. So somebody had let this guy know that we were out there. Not only was he waiting for us, but when we walked in, he's wearing a U.S. Navy hat a Nebraska Cornhuskers college football shirt and is just ripping through a pack of mile seven cigarettes. I mean, chain smoking hard <laughs> with a gigantic smile on his face as if he knew the exact time that we were going to be there. So the combination of him waiting for us, his completely inexplicable clothing uh, with American college football and Navy hat <laughs> and the pack of ciggies with a big smile. I mean, even now when I just, when I think of the guy, I just start laughing. I mean, nothing's made me giggle more. It was really even hard to talk to him when that happened. Yeah, it was, it was a beautiful moment. And I, I, I like we said on a previous uh, episode in five days of June, uh, I think the only time that the welcome mat has ever been laid out for us, um, you know, it just was such an interesting insight into that sort of local, uh, like the bush telephone kind of thing that was obviously uh, <laughs> running hot about these two mad uh, men driving around 
Kyushu and visiting different jazz places. So for sure, yeah, that that, that was it was hilarious. He was just he actually probably could have been a contender for the nicest owner as well because he was just he had no interest in anything else other than just us arriving, chatting to us, oh, and making yeah, sure that yeah, we photographed sure. his place as well. For sure. Oh, I've got to say, uh, just an honorable mention because you did pop it up on your on the Tokyo Jazz Joints Instagram stories, and I would advise you to do it again because it is so wonderful, was uh, you covering your jealousy of me over my incredibly protective raincoat by trying to adopt some sort of sarcastic, uh, you know, making fun, uh, you know, uh, sort of um, uh, attitude. Um, when I was looking into the, the windows and adjusting my wonderful raincoat. And so that, that to me still makes me laugh hysterically that, you know, you obviously so jealous that I had this great raincoat in the middle of it, like borderline typhoon, but trying to be cool and covering it by making fun of me. <laughs> Well, I've had to mention that again. I think, I mean, if I'm going to do an honorable mention for that one, I think it's related to that. It's got to be your expression when you realize that you're going to be sleeping on a kitchen floor and you're going to (laughs) have to move your feet to open the fridge. And then all the sort of weird rituals and all the little things that you have to do with your lenses and your glasses and your moisturizer and all that stuff that goes on. It reminds me a bit of sometimes my dog will get up out of its bed and it does this weird thing where it sort of, it scuffs up the blankets and gets it really nice so that can lie down and there's a lot of that kind of going on just to get yourself comfortable and I could That's tell you were I love dogs they share my OCD tendencies it's I could great. tell you were raging about it but you couldn't quite express that rage not least because three grown men were sleeping in this tiny box room but um, anyway I think for me like the, the, the funniest it's sort of a slightly weird moment as well but we'd gone up to Saitama as we've talked about previously and we arrived at a place that we had found called Dammo again total uh, mad sort of place that we didn't know anything about it was just a name uh, we found it and it was clearly open and then there was this really weird moment where we knocked on the door and the guy came out and we sort of said uh, are you open and he said yeah but he didn't move out of the way to let us in and he just sort of looked at us and we looked really uncomfortably at each other and sort of like laughed and then i said oh he said oh we're, we're serving lunch now um uh, so and I said, oh, oh, okay, good, as if to say, well, we'll come in then. And he just would not <laughs> open the door for us. So in the end, rather than just continuing the conversation, we just sort of really awkwardly sort of went, oh, oh, oh okay, and like wandered off. And we must have spent at least an hour wandering around that place in that weird city hall, just waiting to come back for no reason other than the fact that we were embarrassed. And of course, when we came back, it was still open; nothing had changed. Uh, and we got in, and of course, had a great time chatting to not not the owner actually, but one of the one of the customers. And it was just one of those moments that was like so odd and you can't really quite explain why it didn't work but forever whatever reason it was or whatever logic he had we were not getting past that threshold uh, and uh, we did eventually Damo get in was, uh, Damo was hysterical for for all the reasons you mentioned um and including when we did finally go in the the uh, indescribably bad ba- uh, cup of coffee I, I don't know whether he was using like some sort of instant nescafe that was I like think way so. out yeah, of yeah, date it was bad. I mean but it tasted it tasted like sand and it was just yeah it was undrinkable and uh, and then he was behind the counter like trying to I mean I think he was cooking up some pasta but I, I ooh man with the ashtray obviously yeah. of course I don't famously touch. 
I don't want to touch anything in Danmo. But yep. oh, that's a great that a great pick. I mean, it, especially as well because we ended up spending a, a, a good forty five minutes to an hour waiting in the the sort of like empty like municipal building by the station where there was just literally no one um, on a Saturday morning. Yeah. I mean, um, along the way, there was definitely, uh, we've had a lot of laughs on this project and uh, I'm sure a lot of them are probably private jokes and you had to be there, but um, we've definitely had our fair share of uh, of kind of odd experiences and, and things that have made us laugh. Um, and uh, it seems even more sort of laughable when you think back at, you know, the places that we had actually ended up just purely for the reason of, of going to visit somewhere and, and take some photographs mm. of it and have a quick coffee or a drink. So linking with that then, I mean, maybe the ashtray on the counter is probably the, uh, the, the, the <laughs> a very nice segue into our final category for this episode, which of course is the worst service. And what I'd like to do here, James, is I'm going to see if just how in sync we are. So I'm going to count down and at uh, when I get to one, we're going to say at the exact same time the place that we've picked okay. for the worst service. Okay. And I would if be it's not the same not thing, sync. I'm going to be shocked and horrified and perhaps question our entire relationship. So here we go. Are you ready? <laughs> the, ca- the winner for the worst service category is three, two, one, Shiramudin. <laughs> yes, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Definitely. Far and away. Here's my memory of the worst service, James. And if I close my eyes, I can still see this moment. We were sitting at the end of the counter. There was no one else there, but for whatever reason, he'd put us on the two narrow seats at the end of the counter. And I remember he sort of went, what do you want? And we said, oh, beer. And within sort of 30 seconds or so, bearing in mind also that he only has one arm, he had two huge family-sized bottles of beer out on the counter. He shucked off the top of them. He slammed them on the counter. And then he opened a huge bag of what can only be described as sort of like bird seed and just tipped it into a bowl and slid it across in front of us. And it was the most pared down, (laughs) like no bones service that you're ever going to come across in any of the jazz places. There's absolutely no way it gets any worse. I, I mean, it was, yeah, you know, it's funny because you, you said bird seed. I think I would call that, and I, maybe this is an American phrase, but I'd call it trail mix. Um, no, trail it was, mix tra- it no, was, hang on, I must object. If you say trail mix, I'm thinking Trader Joe's. This was no Trader Joe's. <laughs> this was more well, like animal feed. It was the driest. an expiry date of, of easily like five years. I mean, it was it was dry to the point of like eating a piece of straw. Um, it's I mean, the kind of thing, say, the kind of thing you would, you would pack into it. a wall to insulate it before you plastered <laughs> over the top. It was that sort of texture. Well, you, you, you're forgetting because not just the bottles of beer but the glasses now he he, okay so he slams the 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 two bottles of beer down on the counter we get the the little the little otoshi dish of uh of trail mix and then he brings glasses that 
Okay, and when I say clean, I'm, I'm making some quotation marks here with my hands, okay? Uh, with some cleaned glasses that had a wipe on a rag that I, I... Seriously, this rag looked like it could have come from the Meiji era in Japan, which for people outside Japan was more than 100 years ago. I mean, he just... Uh, you know, he took a, these dusty glasses off the shelf, um, wiped this revolting-looking rag across them just for like half a second, and then slammed the glasses down and then turn around and i i mean as we've gone on about the show i have a couple of slight finicky habits um about that kind of thing understand and that. so uh, i i was reduced to just drinking from you know a big bottle which is a good you know f half a liter bottle of beer and normally in japan you pour your beer into tiny glasses you know um so so this was this was a shock and it's funny because we 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 were earlier in this episode talking about nicest owner and um uh, Otsuka-san is his name at Shinamaran. And to be fair, to be very fair to Otsuka-san, um, I uh, have subsequently, you know, over time been able to go back to Shinamaran and uh, have had some good conversations with him. He's definitely not the warmest dude in the world. Um, not at all. But I think that a lot of things have happened in his life. Um, Definitely, yeah. Not least of which is the, the loss of his of his arm. He runs this tiny little, really, really tiny bar in the Golden Guy District of Shinjuku with one arm. And he's been doing it for more than 35 years. Um, but I think he takes a very uh, sort of wary position against new customers, which is not uncommon in that neighborhood, where most of the tiny little bars uh, are only really regular customers who go there so when two foreign people come in especially he doesn't know if they speak japanese and that area now has a lot of tourists who are noisy and cause some difficulty he just you know he just completely shuts down i mean by far the most impolite japanese person you've ever met but thankfully over time i was able to talk to him a little bit and and hear his story and you know now instead of getting that you get just a gruff smile and a gruff welcome when you walk back into shenanigan yeah but, and if you, um, if you yeah i knew we'd be on that tip together man no doubt if you go back in time as well, episode four actually seems like a, a lifetime ago now, but uh, we, we actually cover Shiramura in quite, quite a lot of detail. And I talked a bit in that about just, you know, how it, it sort of, he was so intimidating that, you know, I there's no way I, the first time that we were doing this project, particularly at the start, because we went there fairly early on, uh, you know, that I was going to ask him if I could photograph uh, inside. So I, I came away with a couple of sort of slightly, uh, rubbish photographs from the bathroom and it was only actually the second time that we went back and even within that uh, been at least probably a year if not longer uh, and when we went back together again the second time he was much uh, ch I wouldn't say chatty but he was certainly you know engaged with us more and uh, and again you know like uh, we're not going to these places expecting some kind of special treatment or service but I just thought it was so uh, it was just so entertaining you know that in the country uh, in a country like Japan where you know service is ever Everything. And it's, 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 you know, impeccable to a fault at times that it was just, it mm. was so much the antithesis of that, the way he just sort of slammed the bottle down and, you know, <laughs> some came out the top as it hit the counter and uh, it was just brilliant, but uh, by no well, means a reflection also, on the place. It also came out, uh, it came out because remember, yeah, like you said, this was, this was 2015. And um, in some subsequent visits, and, and, and as, as I think I mentioned a little earlier, you know, um, Japan had, 
a really big tourist boom. So they were getting a lot more tourists. And that particular neighborhood, and I think we might have talked about this on, on episode three when we talked about Shamanan, but that particular neighborhood in Shinjuku called the Golden Guy, which is a yeah. series of alleyways yeah. with hundreds and hundreds of tiny little counter bars. That place has become so documented online and on travel sites and blogs and whatnot that on, on any given night now, it's about 90% foreign tourists walking around, sometimes in really big groups with cameras and tour guides. And so the the culture of the place, which had been very sort of private for many decades, yeah. has really changed. And some of the older owners just haven't been able to adapt. So, you know, when you combine that and then with Otsuka-san's probably his personality is just a little more reserved and a little bit gruffer, um, you know, there's been, there's been some talk about how, you know, there's been a little bit of hostility there's been miscommunication that oh don't go to golden guy the owners are racist and and i can assure you that that's not the case if if you're getting root service it's not because they're racist it's because they're probably just fed up of having an influx of non-regular customers including non-regular japanese customers because a lot of young japanese have started going there as well but they don't follow the old drinking manners either you know, so the loss of these old customers has made it real tough for these uh, for these shop owners. But um, yeah, definitely, like you said, Philip, when we went back again a second time, uh, you know, talked to him a little bit. He was he was a lot more forthcoming. Let us take pictures. He didn't smile once, but uh, but definitely he not. was uh, he was fine. It's one of my favorite photos. I think um, uh, not a rabbit hole. I want to go down for sure. But you know, I don't think he would have posed for a photograph. I had permission to take the place, and I just captured him. Uh, at the side of the frame there, and you you get the colors, the beautiful colors on these uh, kind of tartan yeah. stools, no, and, and the, the red lights, and then you just have him in this kind of quite distinctive shirt that he's wearing, and uh, I'm so happy that I got to to really capture because I mean that is the size of Shiramuran that you see in that photograph, but not only mm-hmm. that, also of course that I got Otsuka-san in that frame. So yeah, well, uh, I, t- I told you I did ask him about uh, what had happened you know, how he had lost his, yeah. his arm. And he gave me a look and he just said it was a long time ago. And the look on his face was very clear. I'm not talking about this. Yeah. And so of course I, I did, I did not push it. Um, and, and nobody seems, cause I've, I've, I've talked to people subsequently who've been going to Shiramanan for many years and um, nobody seems to know how, how that happened. They think it was just some sort of industrial accident. Maybe okay. it's a job, but whatever. It's just off limits. And But, you know, look, you can see from the bar, it's very small. It's very narrow. But he's running it by himself. Uh, you know, he does the music, all the drinks. And, um, yeah, a real a real classic of the golden guy. Um, I love how you got the picture with the window in the background. You can see how close it is to just reach out across yeah, the alleyway yeah. to the next place. Yeah. And one night when I was sitting there in the summer, I remember hearing a rustle because I was by the window and there was a gigantic rat right across nice. from what you could see in the picture there. And I thought, oh, I'm in Shinjuku now, man. Great spot, Shidamarin. Well, I mean, a good uh, a good note to finish on for this episode. Uh, worst service, but uh, ironically, one of the best places probably uh, from the entire project. So, uh, yeah, uh, let's leave it there in terms of our category. So we've had nicest, friendliest owner, biggest lesson learned, biggest regret, maddest journey, fun- funniest moment. 
worst service. And of course, in our next episode, uh, we're going to finish off with perhaps the most difficult category of all, which of course <gasps> is to choose our favourite place. Drum roll, please. Drum yeah, roll, drum roll. Please. If I had uh, the skills, <laughs> I'd put one on right there now. But um, yeah, we, we, we're going to cover our nominations. We've decided to choose three uh, or four nominations. And then of course, one of those will be the winner uh, and it'll be our choice for our favourite place. James will do that. I'm going to do that as well. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if we end up with the same place. Anyway, that is for a next episode, James. So for today, uh, thanks uh, as always. It's so good to talk to you and to reminisce. We hope that you enjoy listening. Please go and check out our back episodes. Uh, there's 40 of them on there. SoundCloud, you can find us Tokyo Jazz Joints. Of course, all your regular podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all be on there as well. Again, the website, tokyojazzjoints.com. If you like it, please uh, let us know. Uh, if you think other people will like it, please share it. Uh, and again, uh, you can find other stuff from us on social media at Tokyo Jazz Joints, at Mr. OK Jazz Tokyo and at Philip Arneal. James, in the meantime, uh, thanks and uh, we'll talk next week. Can't wait, buddy. Talk to you then. Thank you.